This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed, where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System, or visit us at NBASoundSystem.com for more. Now, to the host for this edition of NBA Sound System Live, Carlin Gay and Micah Adams. Welcome in, Carlin Gay alongside Micah Adams. Micah, we are one day away. One day away, my friend, from being one month away. I feel like I'm almost like uh, Fran Fraschilla explaining what Bruno Caboclo will actually be two years away from being two years away. It's kind of felt like it's been two years since we last seen an NBA game, but we are now one month away from the return of the NBA. How ex- Where are you? I ask you every week. Where are you on the excitement level? Last week, I think you were about a nine. Are, are, are we hitting the 10 mark yet? Man, well, I think we're there. Now that we actually have games on the schedule to look forward to and you can in your head kind of wrap your wrap your head around who's playing who and when exactly we're playing and and get into debating schedules and degree difficulty and and talking about who's playing who I, I think we're there I think I'm at a 10 you you got me nervous thinking I forgot what I haven't known what day it is for like three months <laughs> when you just said that we are one day away I was like oh my god did did I wake up is it July 29th like what do we so I'm I'm right there I'm, I'm with you man we need like a uh, NBA advent calendar to to, to peel back the, each and every single day as a <laughs> countdown uh, for the return of the NBA. Uh, it was officially official on Friday. Uh, this past Friday, the NBA and the Players Association finally agreed on uh, terms for the NBA's return at the Orlando bubble. Uh, and we got the schedule late Friday. We got the schedule, um, and it, it's going to happen. It's all going to go down, as we said, in the Orlando bubble, the arena, the field house, the, the Visa Center, Visa Athletic Center uh, at the ESPN Wild World Sports Complex. That's where all the games will be from here on out. Um, I'm excited, and we are we finally have a schedule to, to break down uh, what people could look forward to to the playoffs. There's going to be eight games. There's 22 teams that are going to be in Orlando. There's going to be eight games. We knew that. We now now know uh, who and when and what those eight games were, will be played. So um, what was the first thing that stuck out to you about the eight-game schedule that was released late Friday? Look, I... It, I think what struck me is that it's just it's gonna fly by. Like I think that it, it, we're building up all this anticipation and, and all the the anticipation is for is for the playoffs. I, I think when I was looking before and I was like, wait, th- what do you mean? Like this eight game stretch is gonna be over in in two weeks. So I I think just like it's gonna come and it's just gonna be so rapid fire with all these games from from noon to to midnight some days. Uh, and I and I really the the thing that I I started thinking about more than I usually do, and I know that this look this is a thing that happens every year, where t- especially like game 80, 81, 82, like guys are guys are resting, teams are not full are are not playing their full complement of players. I feel like that specifically ties into what we're going to see in Orlando, even more so than usual, right? Like it's a really big difference playing the Lakers. And your first game or playing them in your eighth game. And I think that like amplifying those differences in the schedule is one of the things that to me sticks out when when we try to do, you know, everyone does these things, right? Where we're going to rank hardest, easiest schedules based on 
on who is playing who. Well, it's not it's not just about who you're playing. It's when you're playing them. And I think that that's just one added layer of complexity here uh, towards figuring out how all this is going to play out. It has like an NFL feel to it, right? It's it's a short schedule. It's gonna be it's gonna be done really quickly. You won't have enough time to really uh, kind of get your head around what you're doing. Um, and then also, you're gonna have games as a fan. You're gonna have all all day to watch games. You can really sit down and watch games for hours on on end. Uh, if you have NBA League Pass. That that's going to be amazing, amazing viewing. It's, t- it's so tough to uh, you know you and I both have NBA League Pass. It's so tough to watch games uh, on a nightly basis and and really lock in a three and four games. But when you have the windows the way they are, where a game may start at one Eastern time uh, and 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 you know uh, ten Pacific time, it, it really gives you the opportunity to watch multiple teams, multiple games at uh, in one sitting. So it, it, well, for most people, you and I don't have much else to do but cover the NBA. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> If you're lucky enough to watch it in one sitting, it, it's, a, it's a cool little wrinkle uh, that we're going to have games all day, really. That's what really stuck out to me about the schedule. It's like having Summer League, but like LeBron is playing at noon instead of uh, yeah, you know, undrafted rookies that you've never heard of. So, <laughs> Or that you'll never hear of uh, again. Um, <laughs> is there a game that you're most looking forward to uh, in the eight-game schedule? I, I honestly think that... It, I, look, it, the, when the Jazz and Pelicans play, it's going to be the first game in 141 days, and it's going to feel like the first game in 1,041 games. So just the sheer – when the Jazz and Pelicans tip off at 6.30 Eastern on Thursday, July 30th, I, I just it, – it will feel like the world is somewhat a little bit back uh, back to normal, at least in terms of, uh, of NBA circles. Uh, but beyond that, I – you know, I – I really am looking forward to one of one of the games that uh, I I don't think really meant a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. I was really pumped uh, to watch James Harden and Giannis uh, go after each other, just given the war of words that those guys had, especially because it's something that we just won't see unless they meet up in the NBA Finals as well. So that one, especially because it happens in the middle of that restart like i don't think that both teams will be resting guys yet certainly houston wouldn't be so that is one that i that i had circled uh what about you first of all i'm i'm extremely mad at you right now i'm not gonna lie i'm furious what What this is let me let me peel back the curtain a little bit for for our listeners at home when Giannis and james harden had their little tiff uh, going back and forth. We had a production meeting before a recording a sound uh, system episode back when it happened in the moment. And I was the only one out of you, Scott Rafferty, and, and I believe Alex Novick was on that episode as well. But I know definitely you and Scott Rafferty were there. And in the moment, I was excited to talk about I mean, you know I'm a wrestling fan, so I love that sort of drama. I was excited to talk about the potential of them going one-on-one and, you know, the, the back-and-forth barbs. And you guys gave me nothing when it came up because you guys were not interested. Now, to hear you bring it up now, all the all this time later, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm upset. I am upset because in the moment, I wanted to talk about it. Look, I think I think what I'm getting at is that I, I don't think I realized how much in the moment I just love all the drama all the meaningless drama that doesn't really add anything when when actually it adds a lot because you know one of the things that we we miss the game and the competition uh, but I don't think I realized how much I loved just the 
the, it, they're all they, all these amazing players and teams are are basically characters in this much larger grander story with all these different plot twists and turns and there's so much exciting stuff going on i think that i have always just sort of taken that for granted and so i miss i miss the it's still meaningless i just said uh look it's meaningless because it just it generally like there are games with bigger stakes when memphis and new orleans play each other that game will mean more when portland and memphis play each other that game will mean more but i i just miss uh, trading the the meaningless trading trading of barbs uh, between great players and guys holding grudges against each other. Uh, I, I so look, I'm gonna say that I'm sorry and that I was wrong back in the moment. If that makes you feel better, I, it does. It does. I accept that apology. It also it also uh, gives me a little bit of insight to how much '90s basketball you actually watched over this break because now you have your love again for uh, the back and forth and f- whatever rivalries uh, we used to have is finally back a little bit now with uh, with James Harden and, and, and Giannis Antetokounmpo taking shots at each other for no reason. Uh, the game I'm most looking forward to comes in July 31st, 4 p.m. Eastern, Memphis and Portland. I'm going to be locked into that one. It's going to be on NBA TV, uh, nationally televised game. I'm going to be locked into that one because that's the first game we could see John Morant back. And, uh, you know, the, the Bedford Grizzlies, they've heard the entire time of this, you know, this break, almost two months, three months going into it, uh, that they're going to lose the eighth seed. They're going to they're gonna give it up. And Portland and Dame Lillard, Dame Lillard made it very clear heading into this. He's like, I, I'm only going to show up if we have an opportunity to make the playoffs. Now here's your chance to put your money where your mouth is, step on the floor against one of the great young teams that we have in the NBA right out of the gate. That's going to be a game that I'm, I'm, I'm most looking forward to. Uh, the th- one of the things, no, I want to I want to stop you about that game because you're right. And one of the things that I think is really interesting here about this what 15, 16 day stretch of games is there are there are essentially little miniature must win playoff games all sprinkled throughout. Like if Portland is gonna make the play, they basically have to win that game against Memphis. I, I know it's not right. like a mathematical one and done, but just given where they are in the standings, given that there's also New Orleans right there, even Sacramento, which we can get into here in a little bit, that that's basically a must-win playoff game uh, for Portland. They lose that, you might as well just send them packing because they're just uh, the, the road forward is that much harder. So when you kind of go through the schedule and you can find these little games throughout, where you kind of circle it, and I know that the playoffs don't start until, what is it, August 16th, August 17th. Uh, the playoffs, they, it make no mistake, like it really does start July 30th, and even with a team like New Orleans. So they open up with with Utah, uh, who, is, who is without uh, Bogdanovich, who will not be playing down in Orlando, just had sh- shoulder surgery that ended his season. But like New Orleans, so we're going to talk winners and losers of the schedule here in a bit. That's one of only two games that they have against teams with winning records down in Orlando, which places a, they have a huge task in front of them to win against Utah and in their second game against L.A., the Clippers, in order to put them in a position to even take advantage of that soft schedule uh, down the backstretch. So I love all of these miniature must-win games uh, that are really laced throughout here. 
Yeah, so do I. It, it, it's going to make for exciting basketball. More exciting than I actually thought uh, it would be prior to the schedule being released Friday. And we'll get into all of that in just a second. But we got to remind you, NBA.com is your home for all NBA news. Now that we know the NBA is coming back, that is where you go. And we will take care of you while you are there uh, next week. We have a big celebration, a big celebration for one of the best players, or uh, best dunkers, let's say, of all time in Vincent Lamar Carter. Uh, he is instrumental in, in growing the game in an entire country. He's also one of the most recognizable highlight reel, walking highlight reels we've ever seen in NBA history. Uh, if I put you on a spot right now, Micah, what's your favorite Vince Carter moment? It's, it's dunking over Frederick Weiss, hands down. Look, at the 2000 slam dunk contest is the best slam dunk contest uh, I, I performance ever uh, for my money. It's uh, not really a duel. I mean, that thing was over just the minute he walked onto the court. But to watch Vince Carter dunk over uh, the seven-footer in the middle of a game in the Olympics and, like, Kevin Garnett is standing right next to him, has no earthly idea what just happened. <laughs> Gary Payton is is looking like like aliens just just landed. Like that that to me is the seminal moment of Vince Carter doing something that you just you just haven't seen before. Uh, so that one will always stick out to me. Yeah, that's that's my favorite Vince Carter moment. Easily, we have a ton more. In fact, we have an article from the rest of our NBA.com staff right now on NBA.com that you can read more favorite Vince Carter moments. Uh, they have given their take on that. Next week, July 6th, it begins Vince Carter Week on NBA.com, uh, and we will definitely celebrate the great 22-season career that Mr. One Vincent Lamar Carter had. All right. The schedule out, the race for eighth in both conferences is very much alive. Say what you want about whether or not the Washington Wizards can get in. Now that the schedule is out, you know that they have an opportunity, uh, a better chance than they than they did prior to the schedule being out with the games that they have in front of them. Um, but really, most people are going to talk about what's happening out west, and that's what we want to do here. Uh, Memphis, Portland, the Pelicans, Sacramento, and the San Antonio Spurs, and, and even the Phoenix Suns, um, they all have an opportunity to get into the postseason, which probably would not have been the case if it wasn't for this stoppage. Who do you think kind of came out a winner here with, uh, the, in regards specifically to the race for eighth? The, the two teams that I have earmarked as winners are the Pelicans and the Sacramento Kings. Uh, the Pelicans, look, before the season was suspended in the middle of March, they had by far what was the NBA's easiest remaining schedule. At the time of their 18 remaining games, 15 of them were against teams with losing records. So uh, they they were well in, they were well positioned there to make a final push uh, to, over the last couple of weeks. They'll get another they'll get another chance to do that. I mentioned earlier uh, they open up with Utah and the Clippers. After that, it's six straight games against teams with losing records. Uh, the Pelicans are one of these teams that has a vast. They they are just nine and twenty seven this team this season against teams over five hundred. I believe it's nineteen and nine against teams under. Even better uh, when you look at only the games with Zion. So, so the Pelicans look they had an easy schedule before. They kind of lost a little bit bit of that, but they've been rewarded with uh, again the easiest schedule down in Orlando. And then I I, I think that the Sacramento Kings are actually in a in a pretty good spot here. Uh, they get the Pelicans twice, 
which and it, it's kind of a win-win for both of those teams. Uh, you know, uh, for Pel- for the for the Pelicans, you'd obviously much rather play Sacramento twice than Houston or or Dallas or or you know one of those other strong teams in the West. But in terms of the Kings, they basically get an opportunity to go head to head two times and, and control their own tiebreaker against one of the teams also in the races. I mentioned off the off the very, very top, it matters not only who you play, but it matters when you play them. Uh. Sacramento, their last game is against the Lakers, right? So, like, if they're in it at the end, they're going to be going up against the Lakers team that probably isn't going to have anything to play for. Uh, and then when you juxtapose that with the other teams that they're kind of in the mix with, so Memphis is playing uh, Milwaukee in their final game, so they're probably going to play a, a Bucks team that looks nothing like uh, the the one that's head and shoulders above everyone in the, else in the East. And then the Pelicans and Blazers both end with the Magic and Nets, who are two teams that could have something still to play for. Uh, so I look at the Kings as another winner just because I think that they are in a, a better position than a team like the like the Trailblazers to get back in the mix there uh, for that for that ninth seed and play in spot in the West. Yeah, it, it's uh, th- that that play in spot for the West is going to get all the attention in the world. I, I understand that. But I'm actually going to go out east and go with the Washington Wizards here. Uh, I, I think that they do have the most to play for, even though, even though, uh, or, or not most to play for, but the, the 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 best case scenario for their schedule, even though they're so far behind in the playoff race right now. Uh, they're they are about you know the the, the I think they're t- five and a half games back of the eighth seed. In the in the in the Eastern Conference, but when you look at their schedule, uh, they open up with the Suns, which you know the Suns aren't world beaters out there. And, and if you're going to open up with a with a with a game that you could win, that's the team you want to see out of the 22 that are going to be out in Orlando. Then they have the Nets, a net team that you know what? Again, they're going to be you know they they we forgot about the coaching change they just had. <laughs> they haven't even had Jock Vaughn for a little bit. We know they're not going to get Kyrie or, K, or Kevin Durant back. And they're fighting for their playoff lives. And, you know, the, the Nets don't have a ton there that, you know, the Wizards should be afraid of. And then they get into really the meat of their schedule. Pacers, you could give or, you give or take a, a win or loss there, depending on what they want to do. Sixers might be already locked into their playoff spot. As you said, the Pelicans are going to be battling for theirs. They might be locked into theirs. Uh, and, and the Thunder, same thing. And then our last two games are against Milwaukee and Boston, who probably will be, you know, have it shut down by that point in the season. And it might just be two easy wins for them to just get within earshot of having that play-in game uh, against either the Nets or the Orlando Magic. I'm giving the Washington Wizards a real shot here to get hot, especially when they have one guy in Bradley Beal that could really carry them uh, through, uh, you know, a scenario like this. I I I don't disagree with that. I think 538 had the Wizards uh, with just a two percent chance to make the playoffs back in March when the season was suspended. Uh, they they have not updated their numbers, but there's a lot of other ones out there uh, that have the Wizards anywhere from like a seven percent to twelve percent chance. So they've they've basically uh, multiplied their chance to make the playoffs by by a four or five year at least. Uh, I th- look w- when all said and done though, it's. If the Wizards get back in it, congratulations, you get to get blasted by the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round. Uh, the the Blazers, I think that the Blazers are are a tremendously interesting team to watch here. 
if they can get back in it because we look, I whoever whoever wins that eight spot is going to be massively disadvantaged against the Lakers. However, the Blazers are one of those teams just with with Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum best suited to take advantage of a Lakers team that now suddenly doesn't have its starting point guard in Avery Bradley. And I know that you're about to give me grief for the second time here because you were someone that all along as, as has mentioned, you 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 were beating beating the, the table about how big of a difference Avery Bradley meant uh, way back a couple of months ago. And I was one that immediately yelled at you and made fun of you and said that, look, the Lakers success is not gonna hinge upon one Mr. Avery Bradley. But if there's a team out there uh, in that sort of 8-9 range that could really make things interesting and make them pay, uh, it, it might be Portland, right? Yeah, I, Portland, you know, no? when they're healthy, <laughs> that's that's the thing. When they're healthy, they could make some noise in the playoffs. Even with with or without Avery Bradley, they played the uh, the Lakers pretty strongly the, the couple times that they have played them this season, and that wasn't with their full lineup. So, you know, who knows what Nurkic looks like if he does get back, uh, and, and and Zach Collins as well. But those are two guys that you just can't just say, oh, they're going to be back in the lineup. Those are difference makers for the Portland Trailblazers. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's all about getting hot. This is almost like an NCAA tournament. It's like who's going to get the hottest the quickest. And we know that Dane Lillard can get real hot. And no one wants to talk about C.J. McCollum, who had a great playoff series uh, a season ago. And if, if it wasn't for McCollum, uh, the Portland Trailblazers don't even make it to the Western Conference Finals last season. It was really him that took over that Game 7 against Denver in the semifinals of the Western Conference uh, a season ago. So now let's not forget about CJ. Uh, and I know that Melo's there, but maybe maybe he's, maybe he's maybe he can you know be that third option for them uh, in a playoff run and, and, and really make things interesting for, for the Portland Trailblazers. So I, I, I don't disagree I- with that at all. I do. Th- I do think Portland is one of the teams that drew the short end of the stick, though, with with this, the way that the schedule mapped out. Right, like that we we talked about. They what is basically a must win game uh, right off the bat against Memphis, and then immediately after that they get Boston, Houston, Denver, right, which will all still three be playing their guys, and then they have a back to back against the Clippers and 76ers, uh, which that has to be the hardest back to back. Uh, that any of the 22 teams has down in Orlando, and then even look, they're gonna they're gonna end with Dallas and Brooklyn, both of which will will have things to play for. Dallas, uh, right there within striking distance of improving their seating uh, in the Western Conference, unless they fall flat on their face, they're gonna be playing for something there. Uh, and then Brooklyn jostling uh, between seventh and eighth, right? Whoever I would venture to guess that either Brooklyn or Orlando would much rather be. Uh, the seventh seed and the eighth seed. So just the way that the schedule fell for Portland, uh, I, I think that they're among the, the biggest losers, if you will, of the schedule being released. Yeah, no question about that. Uh, the the play-in scenario, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the play-in scenario is uh, is going to happen if the ninth seed uh, gets within uh, uh, four games of the eighth seed. Is it? Is that what the play-in scenario is That's out correct, west? Yeah. Yeah, so that's very, yeah, and, very, and, very, and, very feasible. Yeah. yeah, it is. And and look, right now, I think the, the, the Blazers, so if you look at the standings, right, the Blazers, Pelicans, and Kings are all quote-unquote tied, but just given the the nature of the unbit, not every team has played the same number of games, right? Like they've played two more games uh, than both the Pelicans or Kings, and by virtue of that have a better win percentage by 
literally a thousandth of a point. So uh, that kind of puts them uh, in a better spot, but they're four games back in the loss column of the Grizzlies. And, you know, we mentioned before, both the Pelicans with that early, with that easy schedule. And then the Kings just, the, the Kings by virtue of playing the Pelicans twice, if they were to somehow win both of those, then all of a sudden Sacramento is, is looking like they're in much better shape. So I, I, I feel for, I feel for Portland who, uh, I think got, got one of the, one of the hardest, uh, hands dealt, uh, their way down in Orlando. On the other side, uh, all the Wizards got to do is pray for a couple of losses from either the Magic or the Nets, and they'll have the Nets on their schedule to cry to try and uh, climb back into that position. This does not favor the eight seed at all. Like four games is not a, lot, a big gap; is a, is a huge gap to try and create, and something that's just not there. It is out, out east where it's five and a half games right now between you know the the Wizards and the Magic. But out west, it feels like we're going to have a play-in game, which will be terrific for the fans, but it's just going to suck for the Grizzlies. Well, yeah, and, and it just it it puts you at such a remarkable disadvantage, especially you know with the, with the uh, the nature of it. Imagine having to to play. Say you lose the first game of that play, and then all of a sudden you're playing a back to back, and then if you survive that, then you're immediately turning around, obviously as an eight seed and playing the one. So like you you basically could be walking into a first round series having played either. Three games in three days, or three games in four days. What, 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 however, the schedule would break. Uh, a lot of that's to be determined, but it really does. Like it's, I, I, I like that they thought outside of the box here in terms of figuring out a way to account for uh, an abbreviated schedule and and giving teams an opportunity to get back in the hunt. But it, it really does create, a, and even more so than usual, the gap between seventh and eighth uh, couldn't be more drastic. Yeah, not not at all. Uh, you wrote an article on NBA.com. What's at stake for some of the great stars that we have in our league with the return of the 2020 season? Of course, you're talking about Giannis. You're talking about LeBron. You're talking about Kawhi. You're talking about James Harden and uh, Russell Westbrook. Uh, the list goes on and on. And you could go and find that article right now on NBA.com. Uh, towards the bottom of it, you have the best of the rest. Chris Paul, Dame Lillard, Jason Tatum, uh, Jimmy Butler, and Zion Williamson, as well as John Morant. When you come, when it comes to those last two that I named, uh, what, what do you expect to see from them in this eight-game scenario? Because it, it kind of feels like they're no longer rookies, right? Like we've had an, a full offseason now. They could look back at what they did in the first half of the season – and now when they get back, they're going to be expected to lead their teams. They're not just, you know, two guys that are, are trying to figure their way out. They're, they're expected to lead their teams into the playoffs now. Yeah, and I, and I think in the case of Morant, Morant, I think, is in a more interesting spot than Zion because, right, like Zion and the Pelicans just is in the same boat with four other teams. They're just trying to play catch up, trying to get back in it, whereas John Morant has these this pressure uh, of maintaining a lead and keeping Memphis in it, uh, and so, so I just I feel that that like that's an in an inordinate amount of pressure to put uh, on a rookie rookie in name only as you said they're not really rookies anymore, uh, but I, I don't know I think it will be really interesting um, to watch how John ja Morant specifically uh, reacts to the pressure of being the number one option on a team looking to hold off. Uh, basically four challengers to their spot there. And then Zion, I, the Pelicans just strike me as a team that 
if if they were to if they were to make it and if they were to get into a play in scenario or even make the playoffs as an eight seed, just be given the nature of that roster and how much talent there is on paper. I feel like there's there's more pressure on the Pelicans to put forth a good showing than the Grizzlies. But somehow, just because of the, there's more help there and, and Drew Holiday and Brandon Ingram, that maybe there would be less individual pressure on Zion Williamson than John Morant. I, I don't know. Does that strike you as, as, as off or on or on point or, or what? Uh, I think it does have more individual pressure on 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 uh, on actually both of them I think have equal amount of pressure because we're now in a scenario now where it feels like the cards are are you know in favor of Zion like they, he has the easiest schedule uh, the, all they got to do is get within four games and they and they put themselves in a position for a play a playing game so that gives him uh, a, a level of uh, you know kind of like a uh, a safeguard if they do stub their two in the toe in the first two games or three games they win the next five they just got to get within four for that one game scenario and then at that point you know anything goes so it feels like there's going to be a lot of pressure on Zion to, to try and get this team into the postseason on the other hand uh the Grizzlies I mean they've been good all year uh and and really should should have the eighth seed locked up if they played the way they've played all year they should be the eighth seed in the Western Conference but there's going to be a ton of pressure on on John Morant to not just start off hot, but maintain that hotness right through the eight games uh, to to make sure that his team gets into the playoffs. Because it, it would it would suck for the Grizzlies if they they played well enough uh, to you know to have a, a good enough lead uh, to to keep that a seed, and then they still have to play that play-in game and then lose it. Or if, John, or if John Morant plays well enough to lock up that Rookie of the Year uh, trophy and then doesn't get to play in the playoffs. that That's going to hurt, I think, uh, for, for, for the Grizzlies and, and, and what they did this season. Well, I, I look, selfishly, I think having a play-in between the Grizzlies and Pelicans would be unbelievable. And it, by the way, if that comes to fruition, I think we should just categorically make a rule that whoever wins that play-in, just the winner gets rookie of the year. <laughs> I will. I, yeah. I would like to have that. Should that should have been put in the handbook that the NBA sent out to teams, just as a little footnote. Oh, by the way, if Memphis and New Orleans play each other, whoever comes out on top, it's either Zion or Jaw. Just, just they should award them, uh, give them the award, the trophy. Right at midcourt, immediately after the final buzzer, <laughs> it almost feels like that's kind of what it is anyway. Like they they didn't have to announce it. It feels like the voters will vote based on whoever gets into the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, on NBA.com, you can go read the race for Rookie of the Year. Has Zion Williamson done enough to catch John Morant? Uh, Scott Rafferty and our Gil McGregor also uh, was a part of that conversation on NBA.com. All right, Micah, before we wrap up here, I got a little game I want to play with you. Um, we, I, I, Full disclosure, I told you uh, a little bit what it was before we came on here so I didn't throw you uh, a complete curveball. But um, it, it's going to be interesting to see who you uh, who you answer for for the question that I'm about to pose because it'll, it'll, it'll maybe tell you a little bit how much we spend time together and how much you know about uh, who I appreciate in NBA history. Uh, I've come up with a list, a top five list of the top five players in league history to never play in an NBA Finals. That's right. A top five list in league history. The best players to ever play the game 
to never play in NBA Finals. So that eliminates Tracy McGrady, who, I mean, play quotations. He was still a part of a Finals team. He still stepped on the floor. So he's eliminated from the conversation. So this list is down to guys who never even made it to the NBA Finals. It's a top five list. All eras are involved. Micah, guess, uh, throw some out there. Who do you think has made my top five list of players to never play so, in the finals? So to to be clear, this is not my this is not me, my list. This is me guessing no. who you yeah. appreciate the most, correct? That's okay. right. You got it. Uh, all right, so you you uh, have just for, for the entirety of uh, our working basketball relationship have just disrespected Grant Hill. So I'm going to guess that Grant Hill is not on on your top five. You're I'm absolutely start right. Grant with, Hill did uh, not make the list. You you love your '80s, so I'm going to throw two names from the '80s at you. I think that you had both Dominique Wilkins and Alex English on your list. You're absolutely right about both of them. Dominique Wilkins made the list at number four. Alex English made the list at number five. We're talking Dominique Wilkins, Hall of Famer, scoring champion in 86. Uh, Of course, the all-rookie team. Nine-time All-Star, seven-time All-NBA. But the problem was that he played in an era where he had to go through either the Celtics, who were great in that era uh, and won three championships, and then he had to face the bad boy Pistons, who weren't easy to get by either, who, who won you know two rings in their own right to close out the 80s. Dominique just was in, and then, you know, of course, Michael Jordan was there as well. So uh, Dominique was just, uh, you know, by the time his team, his teams were really good. Like those Hawks teams uh, were, were constantly in and around the top of the Eastern Conference. Uh, you look at that roster that he the, that he played with Spud Webb, uh, Doc Rivers, Mike Fratello, of course was of course was the coach, and then uh, Dominique just got he got injured uh, late in his career, and then that that complete drop off uh, kind of hurt him. The trade to the Clippers is one of the most uh, interesting trades in my opinion in NBA history that I don't think anyone really talks about. It's it's almost like he never played in LA. I know he played 25 games there, but for Atlanta to trade him when they did because they were they were I think uh, either first or second in the Eastern Conference and they traded their leading scorer uh, to the Clippers just out of nowhere is is incredible. That no one talks is, about when it. we were when we were going back spending what felt like uh, three months. I know it was one month, but. Uh, talking just strictly 90s basketball, I had completely forgotten that the Hawks finished with the best record in the East uh, in that first non-Michael Jordan season. Like, could you imagine if I, I know that it's it's like Dominique Wilkins in 1994 is not the same as Giannis Antetokounmpo now, but could you imagine if just like halfway through the year the Bucks were like, yeah, we're just going to trade Giannis. Like, it would be yeah. outrageous. Nuts. It's, um, it's anyway, all right, so... I nailed I nailed your first two. I, I I'm gonna go with uh, George the Iceman Gervin as as the next George, player that you had. George the Iceman Gervin comes in at number two on the list. Uh, of course, oh, all favorite okay. four time scoring champion, twelve time All Star. Uh, dude did it in the NBA and ABA, and still never played in the finals game. But you know he's number two on my list of all time great players to never play in the finals. And by the way, shout out to Magic Johnson, who uh, I am so happy that we have Magic Johnson's Twitter Twitter account back in action, uh, providing all sorts of just spot on spot on analysis. March fourteenth, twenty thirteen, 
The greatest one-on-one players I've ever, I've ever seen. Number one, Michael Jordan. Number two, Kobe Bryant. Number three, George Gervin. So uh, Magic, equally as respectful of the Iceman as you are. Uh, the were last you surprised two guys, when they, you were, they have to be the... What? Were you surprised that he didn't play in the finals? Like, the, like Iceman, because of, of his standing in you know NBA history, like people, he's pretty much top of mind anytime yeah. you think of like 80s basketball. I, I was shocked that he did not play in an NBA finals. I, I'm, I'm right there with you, although, look, I, I just think it's kind of similar to Alex English, right? You just you just think back to the 80s, and you're just like, well, the Lakers just account, accounted for half of the finals appearances, uh, save for a couple in there. So it just was never able and, – and I think he's a different guy, too, because he, what, he played, what, six five or six seasons in the ABA, so that just yeah. also took away some chances, really, to get there uh, that were, you know, front end of his prime when he was kind of at his best, so um, – Good Spurs teams, but uh, right a little bit surprised. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Uh, the other two guys, it, it has to be Chris Paul and Steve Nash, right? Chris Paul comes in at number three. He's the only active player to make the list, and you're right, Steve Nash at number one. Like Steve number Nash one. at number one is is an absolute lock for me. I mean, two time MVP. Uh, he his and he never really sniffed it. Like he got he got to the conference finals. But I don't think there was ever really a game seven scenario where you were like, "Oh, this is the one where he could get there." He always, you know, bowed out in six games or so. It felt like the one time that I think, uh, you know, the, the the Suns had a championship team was, of course, the body check game. Robert Ory body checks him into the boards. Uh, yeah. The bench is clear. Guys get suspended, and the Spurs end up moving on to the next round. I think that's probably the closest they had as a championship team, and I was all on the bandwagon when uh, he signed in L.A. They did the, the the cover with him and Dwight. I was like, all right, finally Steve is going to get an opportunity to play for a ring, and that ended horribly. So Steve Nash is number one on the list, and then you know Chris Paul. I think if Chris Paul finishes his career without having even featured into a finals game uh, or played in a finals. I think 20 years from now, for, for people that never saw Chris Paul play, they're going to discredit him. They're going to kind of treat him a little bit like how you know some people that never saw John Stockton play uh, you know, treat him. They're going to look at the, the, the numbers, see that he's on you know all these, these all-time lists, but then look at the fact that he never was able to A, win a ring, but B, not even play in the finals. He's going to get disrespected for how great he is. I agree with that, and and the the fact that he just has been on some really good teams, right? I know, like he, what had the misfortune of I think Blake Griffin got hurt one year that the Clippers were 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 really a, a strong championship contender. Chris Paul, he himself got hurt another year that the that the Clippers in theory could have made it. Then obviously, what happened uh, in Houston the last couple of two seasons was was your number one was six on your list, David Thompson. Because he was one guy, I was like, "Ooh, he might even have David Thompson." Like, like I, you could have had him at like two. Yeah, David Thompson. It was between Alex and English, English and and David Thompson for me. I went with Alex English just because of how much points Alex English scored in the eighties. It's it's insane uh, to to see the numbers that he put up. Uh, But David Thompson was was my number six. If if you had to make your own list, do you agree, disagree? Would you slide anyone up or down? No, I think I think those top five are pretty are pretty ironclad, right? Yeah, I mean, you could start getting into like Pistol Pete Maravich, and I know we talked yeah. about Thompson, Chris Webber, Tim Hardaway, but I I think that those five are are pretty. By by the way, another shout out to another I think forgotten player uh, is Mark Price, who I don't think people 
A, don't remember how good he was, but I think more importantly, don't remember how good those Cavs teams were. Like late 80s, early 90s, everyone talks about them losing to Michael Jordan uh, over and over again. But those Cavs teams were really good. I feel like Mark Price is kind of one of those guys that gets a little bit forgotten about uh, kind of in the grand scheme of things when we're talking about all-stars from from kind of that era. Yeah, he absolutely does. He's he was he was good. He was good. He was uh if you're an NBA Jam fan, that's your guy. Mark Price was your guy uh at NBA Jam. But uh him and Brad Doherty, that's that's the duo right there, right? Like that's that's who you go with. I know Elo probably gets more shine because of the way that Jordan abused him, but if you're playing NBA Jam, that's your twosome. Brad Doherty and how about Mark Price. How how about the uh how about the NBA Jam news that came out this week that the creator of the game programmed into if you took a last second shot with the Bulls and playing against the Pistons, it would never go in. Did you see that one? <laughs> I did not see that. This news to me. That is that was, that's, that was, that's that was my favorite. That was my favorite low key story of the, of the week from the NBA. Was the the creator was just like uh, was a big Cavs fan, but didn't want to make it too obvious. But basically made it so that if if you play NBA Jam and you're playing uh, the Bulls against the Pistons and you ever attempt a game winning shot, it's never going to go in. That's programmed awesome. into the game so there you that go that is awesome i wonder how so many that's other my parting go back and figure out yeah that, you I be mean, my guest you go figure them all out i'll be right here to to uh, <laughs> marvel at your research that's the high note that we have to end on uh if you are the bulls you'll never be the pistons in a video game um for mike adams i am carlin gay reminding you we'll be back in our regular scheduled time next tuesday at 3 p.m uh we had to move things up a little bit this week but if you missed it or if you know someone that listens to it live and was expecting it to be there at 3 p.m. and they've missed it, you could tell them, go on iTunes and search for NBA Sound System, rate and subscribe, and, of course, review. Uh, for Mike Adams again, I'm Carlin Gay. We will see you next week. Again, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon uh, Pacific time. We'll be right here getting you set less than a month away at that time for the return of the NBA. Have a great week.